Mansell with HJ Sports, and today we're going to go over our new sites within the Tetra line for 2022. So new for 2022, we actually came out with a new way to mount your scope housing to the infinite adjust bracket. No longer do you have to worry about your vertical adjustments uh, intertwining with the second axis adjustments. So as you'll see on the scope housing, uh, there's actually an additional brick. You can either mount that to the inside of the riser or to the outside of the riser. We recommend that for most traditional bows, you mount that to the inside of the riser and for any sort of sight that you're gonna mount in line with the bow to use the outside. Just flip that around um, and mount it to the outside of the riser. So within each of the product categories, we have the Tetra Max, the Tetra, and then the Tetra LT. As always, our Tetra line of sights come in four different scope housing size options, an inch and three eighths, an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarters, and then also our four pin housing, which is an inch and three quarters. We also offer a 10 thousandths pin and a 19 thousandths pin for both single pin and four pin options. On the Tetra itself, we once again have micro adjustments as well as your macro gain adjustments for left and right. For your vertical adjustments on your Tetra bow sight, you'll want to use the screw right here on the infinite adjust rail and the screw below that. You'll just loosen those and slide it up and down. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra bow sight is the integrated scope ring that has a built-in level. Another key feature on the 2022 Tetra site is the ability to take a 2500 blue burst light. This is an added on accessory, but you can actually put that on there to add light to your pin or to reduce light. With that, we also have mechanical rheostat, which is an exclusive feature to HHA on the Tetra line. You'll be able to turn in the rheostat if you want to dim the light, and then you'll also be able to turn it out if you want to let more light in. Also on our 2022 Tetra line bow sights, the Tetra comes in either a fixed frame, our Hunter Edition frame, or it comes on a four to eight inch adjustable dovetail. All HHA products are 100% made and sourced in the USA, and they carry a 100% lifetime warranty. For any more questions, please visit our website at www.hjsports.com. Hello, we're at the ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we used with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place, roll those blades up, and then it's a click and another click on the other side. It's completely set in, will not prematurely deploy, will not rattle free, solid containment, 100% deployment every time. So we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time. So that's what's new for VIP this year. 
Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. folks thank you for tuning into another episode of bucks of america podcast i am your host jeff vance now this episode is pretty special here i actually have a celebrity from the midwest i have johnny utah mulligan from iowa on the podcast and we all know him from social media he's he's really captivated his audience growing a social media presence motivating people to either get off their ass or get out there hunting or shooting doing something that creates joy in their life Getting, creating that, that balance of mental health, getting them in, putting themselves in an uncomfortable place. And this is going to be fun because I only know John based off of his social media presence, but I'm going to let John tell you where, where he came up from, what got him into archery. Uh, he's also got a uh, uh, police officer background too, stuff like that, FBI. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to let him tell all these fun stories and I'm going to let Johnny take it away. What's up, man? That's a, that's a, that's a damn good edification right there. I yeah. like it. You're very welcome, sir. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, me in a nutshell, um, I grew up in central Kentucky, and and you know we rifle hunted. That was that was my introduction to hunting in general, and and you know would characterize myself as kind of a weekend warrior. I didn't have a lot of days off. Uh, we did four tens uh, at my police job, and so I'd get three days off. But I rifle hunted, and it was just a two week season. So that meant I basically got six days to hunt okay. that rifle season in a one buck state. Um, that went on for several years and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't, I wasn't obsessed with it. You know what I mean? And I this is it. going back to 2002, 2003, that time frame. Um, I was actually, I was 22 years old when I bought my first hunting license. We, we fished. That's what we did growing up, me and my dad. And he wasn't a hunter. So if you don't have an uncle, a brother, or a dad, or a cousin that hunts, like who who's going to take you as a kid, right? So I didn't have that kind of an upbringing, didn't have that influence. Um, it wasn't until a lot of years later that I actually moved away and was policing in, in northern Kentucky and started out as a police officer for the Florence Police Department. And one of my buddies, he was from Texas, and, you know, it's game target-rich environment in Texas, Correct. right? So he tells me one day, he says, dude, we ought to be deer hunters. I'm like, I don't know a lot about this, you know? So that was where that rifle season, you know, came into play and stuff like that. Then fast forward a couple years, we all know buck fever and we all know how we feel after we shoot, shoot a deer, doe, buck, turkey, doesn't matter. You know, you just, your heart's racing, that adrenaline's pumping. And I didn't get that. And it's the first time ever I didn't get it. And I was talking to the guy that had the gun slash bow shop in town. And he's like, are you getting fired up for deer season? And I said, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that I am. I don't, I don't know that I'm, maybe I'm just not supposed to be a hunter. I, I gotta be, I gotta be challenged. I gotta have that passion. You know what I mean? Like I need to, I need to really feel that excitement and I'm not really getting it with the rifle. And he said, well, maybe, maybe you should try archery. You know, it's a lot, it's a lot harder. You're going to have to get in a lot closer to the animals, but 
the idea is for a lot of people with, with archery and bow hunting is it's that bow hunting lifestyle. You really start to immerse yourself in all facets of hunting. That's exactly what happened. I mean, it played out exactly the way he said it would. And I remember the first season, every time I went to try to draw a bow back, I, I wanted my rifle back because I was getting busted every single time. You know, I just, I sucked at it. So I buckled down and, and something that my dad told me when I was a kid is he just said, you just have to work more hours. Like anything you ever want to do in life that's, that's worth anything for most people, it's going to take work. And if, you know, it might not happen today or tomorrow, it might be a year, 10, 20 years from now, but if you truly want to do it, it won't seem like work and just keep after it, you know, and, and then I remember the first time I actually did take, you know, an animal with my bow and I'm like, Oh my God, like, this is the new thing for me. Now I'm, you know, I was obsessed. It became truly addiction at that point forward. That's a good way to put it through. Cause I being in the Midwest hunting in Iowa, hunting in Southeastern Minnesota, mm-hmm. we were all gun hunters. We had shotgun is yeah. like, I got bored with it yep. and I turned on Joe Rogan. This was back in 2015 and mm-hmm. a buddy of mine turned me on to him. And it's like, he started about talking about hunting and, and really like, kind of like, yeah. Giving you a whole different idea of yeah. what being in the now is. Yeah. And that's what yeah. I thought was what really put me into where I'm at today. And from 2015 to today, I would never have thought I'd be sitting across against Johnny Utah. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, 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 you know, and, and looking back on it, I never thought anybody would ask me to, you know, ramble on a podcast about, you know, what I've is done. Is this your first podcast? Uh, number 67, oh, okay. 70 so you, you, so it's like, I, Yeah, I've done a bunch of them over the last couple years. It's not for me to bring a, a a fresh person into the, into the world <laughs> right, of podcasting. Right. Yeah. So it's like it throws them for a loop. It's like, yeah. we're just bullshitting. Here. Yeah, right. There's That's no censorship. I don't yep. pay I don't pay mine to the FCC. Yep. And all my sponsorships right there, well, they're either veteran-oriented uh-huh. or they're veteran-owned. So. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's not, not a bad group of people to be affiliated with. Exactly. You know? So it's, um, you know, things kind of just progressed and progressed. And through hunting, um, years later, I met, uh, met a fellow by the name of Todd Prignitz. Okay. And Todd had the White Knuckle Productions web show. And it was one of, between himself and like Todd Graff with the Bow Hunter Die show, those were really the two first web shows, Facebook shows, that were, you know, putting out consistent video content and not just the kill shot. They were telling a story like a traditional hunting show. You know, as we as we grew up with watching, you know, on Saturday mornings with Babe Winkleman and stuff like he's- yeah, yeah, the the monster bucks and all that uh-huh. kind of stuff. You know, so I ended up watching a couple of his DVDs, and it was different because it wasn't just the kill shot. Like I got to actually watch a guy pass a deer, and I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. You know what I mean? Like yes. he was one of those early guys that was not to say that he was a pioneer of let him go, let him grow. But he was one of the first ones that was putting out that content that really explained it and showed it, you know, and what it actually can do. So I thought that was pretty interesting, but I didn't have a desire to film my own hunts. For one, I wasn't very good at hunting, you know what I mean? And then two, I hunted to hunt. That was, you know, now we're, we're doing undercover narcotics and this is me. This is my time. This is my time to go out by myself, reconnect. Uh, get away from the concrete jungle, as I call it, you know, and just get out in nature and reconnect, find myself and kind of find that balance. So I didn't want to bring a camera to it. You know, that's that, that was like I said, it was my time. Um, he talked to me and he, he talked me into taking a camera 
and this would have been 2013, that fall season in Kentucky. And he said, just take a camera, try it. If you don't like it, I'll never ask you to do it again, but just try it. So I remember going to the store and went to Best Buy and I bought a camcorder. You know, it wasn't anything fancy, but I didn't have a lot of money. So yeah. I just bought whatever I could afford, you know, and and um, had a buddy come with me to help, you know, run the camera because uh, I knew that was going to be too much of a challenge. One, I'm a new videographer and I'm not that experienced bow hunter. So I better get somebody to really, you know, help me out here. And he didn't know any more than I did, but at least there was two of us, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> so we ended up filming my first kill on video um, that that fall. And it was like uh, one, like 157 whitetail in Kentucky on the ground with my bow. And that started a whole new passion because now I don't have to tell my buddy about the hunt. I can just say, here, watch it. Like, this is how it happened. Yeah. And then I would go back and watch and critique. Maybe I should have drawn then. Why didn't I draw then? You know, I, it would have been better. Maybe I should have let him walk a little, uh, you know, five more yards. Next time I'll do that. I'll, you know, pay more attention. But I was able to kind of critique stuff. And, and it was just fun. I, I had zero intention of any of this turning into what it has today. It was just something fun to do. And I didn't even know if I was ever going to do it again. I probably would, but it wasn't like set in stone. We ended up, uh, I ended up co-owning Wicked Tree Gear handsaws with him. And then from that business, I started meeting other manufacturers in the outdoor space. Um, marketing directors and manufacturing guys and stuff, you know, within the outdoor space. Going to ATA was cool because I, I knew a lot of the companies that were there. So my introduction into the outdoor industry was not like from really from the video side. Yes, I was doing it, but that wasn't my introduction. My introduction was from the manufacturing side, working on the product side of things. And this continued with White Knuckle. I continued to film some hunts and give Todd my stuff. And then we sold Wicked Tree Gear. And the way the contract kind of spelled out was, we'll buy the company, but we want you to come work and continue to do marketing and, and you know product design work for us. And this was in... Uh, January of 2016. So at that time I made the big move. I left my law enforcement career, uh, days of kicking indoors and buying drugs that was all done and over with and moved to Iowa. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to chase big whitetails, you know, it's one of the better States, you know, that if not, if not the drill. best state. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you want to be a country singer, you go to Nashville, you want to be an actor, you go to Hollywood or LA. So, you want to chase big whitetails, you know, come to Iowa, right? So um, I moved out there and I branched off. It was at that point that I branched away and started my own hunting show. And simply just, I wanted to do things my way. It wasn't anything, uh, it wasn't anything indifferent about what Todd was doing. And it definitely wasn't like a control or a power thing. I just wanted to do it my way um, and tell more of an in-depth lifestyle of the hunts and share that photographic content, you know, the photography side of things. And, and Todd wasn't, you know, he didn't really feel like the, you know, photos were ever going to be a thing, you know, like you're never going to make a career doing photos and look at Instagram. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, and I'm not even sure he had Instagram at this, at this time frame. but, um, so I took a gamble, man. I, I, I knew as a marketing director and former owner of Wicked, the things that I was lacking from the shows that we sponsored was photo content. 
So if I was lacking that, there's a chance that maybe some of the other manufacturers were lacking that. And I went all in, man, bought a bunch of camera equipment and taught myself how to be a photographer and never had any formal classes. I had a couple of buddies that gave me some tips and tricks along the way to kind of get me off the ground running. But uh, most notably, um, a guy, Kyle Reindeers, I remember calling him one day and I said, I need to learn how to operate this camera. I just bought it. And he's like, okay, I got you. He's like, what you're going to do is you're going to turn the power to on. I'm like, okay, I found the on off switch. What next? He goes, do you see a thing that says has the letter M on it? I'm like, yep, I found the letter M. He yeah. goes, dial it to the letter M. That's for manual. And I'm like, okay, what next? Click. He hung up the phone. <laughs> that was it. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, that, I mean, that was that was a lesson. And what he was trying to tell me is the only way to do it is take the training wheels off, and this will force you to learn the camera and take all the auto features off. It's it, whatever changes you're going to make, you're going to have to make them and dial it in. So he got me to do that. And I don't know, man. I mean, it just, it, it took off, you know, things, things took off from there. I probably, the career for me probably uh, started out just because I didn't know what I was doing. So I probably was not shooting photos in the style that everybody else was the more trained, better people, you know, um, so I was shooting it from a, maybe a different perspective or a different eye. And I think because it was unique and it wasn't things that they were seeing at this point, I was able to make a living out of it, a small living, not great. And it took years, you know, years and years and years. But again, it's the whole work more hours. Like I don't expect anything to happen overnight. I, I wasn't a good shot overnight. I, I wasn't a good photographer overnight. I wasn't a good videographer and I sure as hell wasn't a good hunter overnight. Um, but it, you know, it, if it's something you truly want to do, it doesn't seem like work if you love what you're doing. Exactly. You know, and I, I like to always say like, my goal is to never, my goal is never to make it to the far end of the field. My goal is to enjoy walking to the far end of the field. So if I never make it to the far end of the field, I enjoyed the path that I took, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it, it should never, you should never have an end because I don't have an end. You know, nobody has an end. And I think that's what a lot of times people settle or they, they get to a benchmark and they're like, ah, I made it. I'll stop here. No, like there is no finish line. It, it's progressive. It's always moving from you, but enjoy the, the path. Enjoy the steps that you're taking to try to make it to that finish line. Right? Exactly. That's why, uh, with my own podcast here, I can completely relate to that because I sucked in the very beginning. I had audio issues. I went cheap, got cheap mics. Yeah. That was the first mistake. Because then it's like, yeah. then I had to go back and I had to buy all better ones. Yeah. But that was all through trial and error. It's like, it's the whole aspect of it. So now, you got to figure people, it out. Now I've had a few people actually reach out to me and mm -hmm. ask, me like, what did you, what did you learn and what did you do differently? Yeah. What would you do differently if yeah, you did exactly. it all? Yeah. And I told him, it's like, do not cheap on your mics. You can, there's all kinds of different boards out there to make it, but I always told him, it's like, if you're going to buy a, buy a, um, uh, a mixing board, buy something that has multiple XLR slots, so this way that you can have multiple guests. Yeah. So now when I'm here with you, John, I'll be able to have through more guests if I wanted to. Yeah. And I've recorded podcasts with eight people yeah. with all different voices. And the, the unique thing about what we got going on right now is we have YouTube. Mm -hmm. YouTube and TikTok and the shorts, like yeah. you can learn a lot of little things. Like when I bought my new S21 Plus, yeah. I went on TikTok because I wanted to find it. Like I just typed in the S21 Plus and right. I learned a whole bunch of cool shit with it yeah. in a matter of hours. Like this is cool. I could do this, do that, and do that. And so it's like it's all about like, putting yeah. yourself out there, getting getting outside your comfort zone. Yeah. And that's what I think a lot of people attract 
to this to the outdoor world of archery because yeah. you no longer it's like you're cold, you're hot, you're freezing, you're wet. Mm-hmm. It's you never know what type of uh, conditions you're going to be in. I think that's what really attracts people to it because it's very it's like yeah. mentally tough. Yeah, it's and you have to be fluid. You have to be willing to flow with it and because um, if it's going to go wrong, it's it's going to happen. If it yeah. could, it will. And and so you got to have you know a different strategy, different backup plans. And, you know, and stay positive throughout the whole process. And, you know, the other thing about a lot of that journey, too, is um, the right people. And like you said, like, you know, if you were having some tech tech issues, so you sought out people slash YouTube and, and things like that. You learn from people. Um, same thing with, with any of this stuff. For me, it was partnering and aligning myself with the right people that, genuinely wanted to see my success or see things grow, but we're doing it the right way themselves. And maybe they didn't help me, but they helped me without knowing they were helping me, you know, just by watching very closely as to what they were doing and trying to, you know, emulate what they were, their process was right. Oh, a hundred percent. That's the best way to do it. Yeah. Cause I learn more from people doing it than I do like ask them questions because if I yeah. can figure out what they're, how they're capturing it, well, I can, I could go deep dive into some YouTube channels yeah. and figure it all because I understand that they're going to be busy. They have their own priorities. They have a wife, yeah. kids, family, sure. or work, or mm-hmm. they're more like they're undercover. Like they have a lot yeah. of irons in the fire. So it's like, well, if I can at least figure out like how they got to that point, I can work my way through the rest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're never going to learn how to shift gears in a car if you don't know how to turn the key over and start the ignition. Amen. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, so you, you know, you have to, and and like you said, with the equipment issues, you know, you found that finding good equipment, you know, made things better. And I've always said, like with photography, the person behind the camera is more important than the camera, but, you know, I'm not going to do what I do with a Polaroid instant film. Like that's not going to happen, you know? So, you know, you have to have a baseline of good quality stuff. And then if you become good, then the equipment can make you better, you know. Exactly. Um, so, but I mean, every camera, the, the camera sitting here on the table, I've only had this one for a couple of months and I'm still learning a few little quirks about it. Um, so it's just, it's always evolving. And, and the only reason I picked up this new one is because, okay, I'm ready to do things different and, and I want to try to put a better product out there. Um, yeah, so you have to keep growing with it. And now, you know, looking back at how all of this happened, I mean, it's a lot of hard work, but I mean, at the same time, you know, right it's place, right fun. time. It's a lot of fun. Um, I tell people it takes, you have to have the product or the gear, depending on what industry you're in, you have to have the talent and then you also have to have a little bit of luck too. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've seen a lot of people with tremendous talent, the best gear in the world, but just shitty luck. And things just didn't work out, you know? Um, so it, you know, it takes luck. And, and again, my path was a little different. Uh, I don't know how things would have been if I didn't have that manufacturing side. Um, and, and, you know, I've described it too as it's a, it's a degree of my hand position. You know, if I hand hold my hand out to shake your hand right now, I'm at a 90 degree angle up and down and I shake your hand. Hey, nice to meet you owner of HHA or, you know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? And then years later, as the photography kicked off and the show kicked off, and then I, you know, you're soliciting partnerships and and monetary compensation for your work. Then I turn my hand over palm facing up, you know, pay me, but we've already had a handshake. 
he's already seen my hand before. You know what I mean? So I, a lot of people, they get into this space and they have some talent, they do some good work. And then right out of the gate, I want to get paid. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but that's the first time they're seeing the hand. You know, I got to at least meet these people for several years as a co-manufacturing owner in the same category that they were in, dealt with the same problems they had dealt with, you know what I mean? Employees and crappy hunting shows or whatever, you know what I mean? So there was a lot of likeness and similarities. And I think that's, that kind of helped get my foot in the door. You know, just give me the chance, give me the chance to meet you and show you what I can do. Don't, you know, and then we'll go from there. If I suck, I suck. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on that note, you know, I just partnered up with Under Armour as an athlete. And, you know, some people know this, but nine years ago, I approached Under Armour to try to start working with them. And I was told I wasn't good enough. Okay. They just said, this nice guy, we love what you're doing, but your flavor of vodka is a flavor we're already buying right now for the same price. So either A, your shit's got to get better or it's got to get different. And I'm like, okay. Now, I could have taken that and been like, man, screw these guys. You know what I mean? Um, but it was rejection, but I turned it into a positive. They told me exactly what I needed to do. And a lot of times you get turned down, but you don't know what you did wrong. You know, you go to the bar and you ask a girl out and she tells you to, you know, pound salt. Well, did she not like my hair? Did she not like my clothes or, you know what I mean? So they told me exactly what I needed to work on and it took nine years. Now I can't say that every day my goal in goal was to land Under Armour. But it's pretty cool that nine years later, they reached out and asked me to be an athlete, you know. So, um, again, it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. And I try to teach this to my kids because, you know, I see it with my teenage boys. They think that if they do something really awesome after they screwed up at something, that it's just everything's supposed to be better tomorrow. Like, no, I need to see a pattern of greatness yeah. before you're rewarded. Um, or... How about the pattern of greatness is its own reward to yourself that you're just doing a good job. You know, you don't have to be rewarded, you know, by somebody else. So I'm, you know, trying to teach a lot of that to my, to my kids and, and through a lot of my business, um, and career things that I've done either good or bad, you know, we talk about it a lot as a family and I'm like, this is how this worked and this is why this worked. And, you know, I think they get it. Um, it's probably not the same world that they're living in, but I hope that there's some analogies there and they kind of see that, okay, hard work is hard work. And, you know, you might not be successful tomorrow. You might have to be good or grind it out for a week, a year, 10 years before something good happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the things that we, you know, we try to do at the house and, 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 you know, show lead by example in that regard, you know, raise good kids and have a good work ethic. That's my job as a parent. My parent, you know, my job's not to be their best friend. You know, my job's not to coddle them all the time. I want them to be good, productive, contributing persons to society that don't break the laws. And, uh, and then they got to find their own way from there as to what they want to be. Yeah. You're exactly right. Cause undisciplined children become undisciplined adults. Oh yeah. And their next parent is a police officer. Correct. Kind of like, uh, like I've met people that are, when I used to live in Arizona, mm-hmm. Joel, a Joel pile. I mean, that guy, depending on how you viewed him was either a really mm-hmm. pain in the ass or yep. a really good guy. And there's a lot of people that 
went through his tent city and stuff like that. I mean, I've been with my best behavior when he was because I was not going to put myself in tent city. Yeah, you don't want to eat bologna sandwiches. Oh no, and be, <laughs> be dressed up in pink. Wear pink, and, yeah. Oh yeah, but it worked though. But uh-huh. Even though the, the people that have, that went through the early two thousands are now, I, I understand that uh, they they get together. Yeah. After years later, and pull the, pull themselves out of the muck. Have families, but they do barbecues and stuff like that. All the guys they met down there in Tennessee. All guys that they're in camp with. Yeah, yeah. they're in camp with because it's like the kind of created community. Uh-huh. And like a lot of people, Joe was their father. But as a father figure, like that type of thing, is that we we want to show them the, the discipline to get here. Because I would never thought where I'd be right now with the banner behind us, sitting down with you, John, being friends with Chris, and talking mm-hmm. to a bunch of different people. It's just like I just kept on working at working at working. Now I have over a hundred episodes, and I'm traveling all over the place. I absolutely love it. I'm living my best life right now, and I'm yeah. always learning because it's like I'm yeah. always humble about it. Because people may not like me for, based off of what my 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 online persona is, but once they see who I am and pay attention to my vibe and the, mm-hmm. the energy I put through, it's just it's just passionate. Yeah, and I find that my passion is addicting because I turn a paintball field into one of the best places in the southeast, the That's southwest. Cool. You know, it's like because I, I my passion just comes through. I love archery because you when you're in full draw, everything fades away. And yeah. I think that's what I keep on trying to get more people. I have I'm trying to work on my other my other podcast host. Mm-hmm. I do I do another podcast. I'm trying to get him into archery too because not only will it help him be a better person, but also now I can put stuff on the table. So right. when things yeah. go south or when the supply chains go bad. We're going to have the opportunity to be able to do it and teach him the right ways of being able to go through it and get and helping him go through the struggles that I went through years ago mm-hmm. to help him get through it and just kind of going through and explaining to him, you know, you don't have to buy the best equipment based off the stats. You need to get behind yeah. the bow and shoot as many as you can yeah. to find out what makes sense to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, the equipment only takes you so far. Um, you got to have the right mechanics. And, and again, there's a lot of it. You just have to figure it out on your own. You know, there's there's a lot of times where there isn't um, there isn't a magic eight ball you know, that somebody can shake and, and it gives them their life path. And for me, uh, you know, it was very much that way. Growing up in Kentucky, my dad owned a plumbing business. And my my whole life was, ah, son, Irish Catholic plumber, like, this is what I'm going to do. I'll take over the family plumbing business. I'll probably never leave the state of Kentucky. But, hey, Kentucky's cool. I'm okay with that. I like thoroughbreds. I like dirt track racing. I like bourbon. You know, like... I'm, I'm fine with this. This is a great life for me. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, the, the police stuff and the undercover narcotic stuff that yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Like things changed. changed your trajectory from being a plumber to being an accomplished. My dad officer. was an asshole. Yeah. Um, God rest his soul. He, he passed away 18 months ago and I love my dad to death, but, um, it's hard to work for family. And my dad's very, he was just very stubborn very set in his ways. And, you know, you think about people that were born in the fifties, it's a different time period. You know, I say my job is to be a good parent, love my kids, teach them hard work ethics, keep them out of jail. That's it. My dad's job was keep him fed, keep him clothed. And when he's 18, he moves out. Okay. It's just, you know, like I said, it's a different time period. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I was 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 like 30. Yeah. So there you go. So I, Same. He was, my dad was, um, uh, May, actually May, May 13th. Um, May 25th. He okay. just had his birthday just a couple of days. Yeah. Ago. He came up and we, we, I grilled him some ribs and some venison. That's awesome. I, I put on a spread for him. Yeah. And so it's like, cause I just kind of, 
paying homage to the shit he put up when I was in my in my <laughs> late twenties and my and, or yeah. my, throughout my late teens, early twenties, and he's just like I'm just now taking care of him because yeah. it's just I, mean, I I want to capture as many memories as I can yeah. because he's 69. And so I don't know how many more memories I'm going to have. Yep. So yep. I need to, I just need to be more diligent about doing that and being more exact with my time. Yep. Yep. No, that's exactly right. And and you know I would work for my dad summer breaks, Christmas breaks, spring break, you know that kind of stuff. And um, and I'm like, man, I don't want to work for him, you know. And I, and I'm, I'm going to have to work for him for probably 20 years before he hands the business over to me. And um, and I'm like, I don't think this is going to work. So, and it seemed like growing up for my dad, nothing was ever good enough. I mean, I busted my ass to impress him, and I just couldn't ever achieve that level of of um, of appreciation like that, or so I felt, because he didn't know how to tell you that he appreciated 100%. you. Hundred percent, I am saying about too, but it's like I see in his mm-hmm. in his eyes and his stance and his tonality, yeah, where I see the approval and stuff like that, and so it's like, yeah, it's small, it's very finite things that will from that older generation from that boat baby boomers yeah. where you see your your gratification or whatever but it's like you know i've always liked the the, the quote comparison is a thief of joy so it's mm-hmm. like i'm not going to compare my life to his but i want to make sure every moment we have together is better than the last yeah well and and you know i remember running i ran track and cross country in high school and and uh i think it was my freshman year i ran second in a regional meet and we had a big region like the state champ was coming out of our region it did every year you know and so i finished second as a freshman in a varsity meet and qualified for state and all that kind of stuff and uh i mean dude i beat seniors like everybody that i raced against were junior and seniors you know in this race half mile and my mom she was happy man she's almost in tears i was jumping up and down like i just won the lottery you know and I remember my dad sitting over there smoking a cigarette at a track meet. And he's like, what are you so happy for? You didn't win. That's yeah. my upbringing. Yeah. You know, that was the way I was raised. And, and it was never good enough. Don't celebrate victories because there's always another victory out there to get. Or you can always do better. And granted, I do believe in that philosophy for the most part. I do think that it's okay to celebrate some of the small ones. Don't take your eye off the prize. Don't take the foot off the pedal. But, you know, you need every once in a while you need a little pat on the back. and Question You know what I mean? You. Are yep. you familiar with Dr. Jordan Peterson? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you, have you read his uh, 12 Rules of Life? No, no. That's uh-huh. one, it's one of his rules uh-huh. is that right there. And uh, I've been, I've been, I got introduced to him from Joe Rogan. I, yeah. I was actually mm-hmm. going to go, do, I paid the extra money to go do a meet and greet, but he canceled due to whatever oh, complications. No. Yeah. And, uh, I just like a lot of his theology and mm-hmm. his, his meaning behind it has really kind of opened my eyes up because I want to not take out the anger that I went through growing up yep. with on my daughter. So I want her to have more of a an outreach where she could reach out yeah. to me and, and discuss things that bother her because mm-hmm. like we we had a situation here a couple of days ago where she wrote down some inappropriate words in a book. And I had I could I could, I could yell at how, her. How old? Yeah, she's nine. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. And so it's like I could have yelled at her, but but I didn't. I just like we're just gonna take this, rip this up here. It's like, and, I, and that's where I, where I started asking yeah. questions: Are you mad? Are you frustrated? Are you you miss something? And right. just kind of get to the drive to what was what caused her to write that. Yeah, I think it was like it must have been a um, an emotion uh-huh. that she needed to get out on paper. And it's like it, it, journaling is a very good way of doing it because it is. If you yeah. want to get through. 
something that's bothering you or a monkey that's in your on your back, yeah. journal hard and actually get right to the yeah right to the point. Yeah. So and and maybe it's something that they're teaching in the kids nowadays, uh, which they're obviously I I don't know. I have a lot of issues with the way they're changing the school systems, but um, here nor there, I digress. Um, my youngest, he's 14 now, and it's probably been about two years. He came to me. He was 11, 12, something like that. And uh, Kyler says, hey, Dad, I want to talk to you. And I'm like, okay, go ahead, bud. You know, what's up? Sometimes when you talk to me, I don't appreciate the tone. And sometimes you get really mad at me. And it just kind of hurts my feelings. Okay. And I went, okay. Shut up. Get out of my face. I'm like, and he was wanting to debate. You know, what I think you should do as a parent is this is how I feel like you should raise me. And I said, well, when you have children of your own, you can do that. I've never beat my kids. I don't cuss them out. I don't hit them. You know what I mean? I just, you just, you drop that voice. Yeah. You change your eye yeah. look. You turn yeah. it, and then, then you, you just watch yeah. them just ball up. Yeah. It's like, well, my I, I, punishment's there. It yeah. And I mean, but my thing is, is I don't, I don't tolerate complacency. Um, what the, the the root of the problem was to so listeners have some context and they don't think that I'm just this jerk you know ruling my house with an iron fist um, teacher had the assignment to be due turned in on a Friday okay he didn't turn it in on Friday it was done he just forgot to bring it to school but it doesn't say you have to have it completed it's got to be turned in on Friday so he didn't turn it in on Friday. Mon- the goes into school on Monday and the teacher's like, some of you didn't turn in your assignment. You have until this Friday to get it turned in. And I'll still give you full credit. He doesn't turn it in on Friday. Forgot again. Come Monday, now he's in trouble with the teacher. The teacher's like, look, as long as you get it turned in today, you still get full credit. So this little shit calls me from school <laughs> and he's like, hey, dad. Uh, I was supposed to turn this assignment. The teacher's given me the last six days opportunity to turn it in, and it's still full credit, and I forgot it again. Can you run it up here to me, to school? Like, stop what you're doing, you know, for your job, career, making money to clothe and feed and, you know, whatnot, and bring this bring this assignment in. And I said, no. You just get a zero on that assignment. And the next time you'll learn that there's consequences you know, you have to do what you're supposed to do. And I'm like, I'm not your teacher. Well, the teacher said, she's not your parent. I'm your parent. And I'm telling you that if the assignment is due, then that's what you have to do. It'd be no different than like showing up or not showing up to work and still expect to get paid, even though you didn't want to wake up or get out of bed that day. Um, and I, And I'm seeing that with my kids in the school system, that they're getting third, fifth, eighth. 22 chances, you know, to do their work. I don't know about you, but I'm 44. If I didn't turn an assignment in by the second that it was due, you got a zero. Yeah. That's was, it. There's yeah. no second chances. Yeah. Cause a lot of my teachers were all baby, bo- or like they were yes. all grown up. So it's like it, would, it was due yeah. on a certain date and it wasn't there. You yeah. get a zero. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And then you have to scramble and you have to do 
twice as good on everything else as yep. this things progress through the year. Yeah. So let's apply this to it may be dramatic, but let's apply it to everything else in life. Mm-hmm. Military. Okay. Hey, bad guy, I forgot my ammo back at base. Don't shoot. Mm-hmm. Doesn't happen that way. You get in a fight. Time out. I don't want to do this fight. Sorry. It, the fight's happening. Um, you don't show up for your job. You get fired. I mean, it's just life's not that hard. People make it harder than what life needs to be. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what I tried to teach him is like, look, these are lessons that we need to nail down right now because life is only going to get harder and mm-hmm. it's going to be because of your doing. Yes. So these are easily avoidable situations. I'm like, dude, you did the work. Like you just like put it in your backpack. How hard is it to remember? You know what I mean? To do that. Tie a string around your finger, make a post-it note. I don't know. You know, write it on your hand. Yeah. I've done that. My hands used to be covered in ink all the time. That's how I remembered <laughs> stuff. Yeah, so, I, I, I have to write stuff down too. It's, yeah. it's the best way to read, but it's, 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 you got to learn how you learn. So this way you can yeah. become a better person. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So yeah, it's just, uh, so that's, that's where a lot of that came from. And of course he didn't like the, the tone. Um, so I said, sorry, yeah. it's not changing. You know I, what I mean? I have a little brother that it's, he's 26 now, mm-hmm. no, 28 now. Yeah. And we run into that same scenario too, yeah. where he, he's, he's, he's stumbling stuff like that. He got himself into some hot water and stuff like that. I told him, it's like, if you keep doing this stuff. It's like one day mom and dad's going to be dead. You come asking for yeah. me for money. You yeah. come asking for your other system. From, we're yeah. not going to be there for you. Cause yep. it's like, you need to, you either make act right or things are, you're going to have consequences. Yep. And he had some consequences from that. But I, I, it's like, I tell the same thing with my daughter. She's only nine, but it's like one day I'm going to be dead. Your mom's going to be dead. And it's like, you're going to have to figure this stuff out on your own. So yep. while you have us here on this, on this, on the, on this earth, you need to ask us as many questions as you possibly can. Yeah. You know? I mean, go, go through life. Like you don't have backup. Yeah, that's, you know what I mean. That's why I learned, and that's how you should do it. That's how everybody should do it. And I think when people, and you know, that was a lot for me with career stuff was um, just knowing that no one was going to bail me out. Like if it was going to happen, it was going to happen on me, and I didn't rely on a lot of people um, to do anything. Um, and that was my path. And I'm not saying that it's it, that's the way it should be for everybody. If somebody gets an inheritance, good on them. I'm not mm-hmm. hating on them, but for my path, the way that it was for me, it was the way that I had to do it. And, you know, again, it's one step forward, sometimes two steps back, sometimes 10 steps forward, one step back. I mean, it's always just kind of this ebb and flow of career and life. And, you know, I got dealt what I thought was kind of a shitty hand. When I sold Wicked, I was working for the holding company that I sold it to. I don't encourage anybody to ever do that. If you have a company that you've put blood, sweat, and tears into, and then you sell it, just walk away. Don't work for the people that you sold it to because they're never going to do it the way you did it. They're not going to have the same drive and the same passion. Chances are they're going to shit on it, and it's horrible because that's like your baby. You know what I mean? And So, anyways, but I did. It was a good career move for me, I thought, at the time, and they decided – uh, after three years, they were going to shut down op- all operations. And they gave me a negative two-week notice that I no longer had a job. So February of 2019, I dropped to $6.87 in my account. Now, I say the reason why I know that number is, you know, there's some banks you can open an account. And as long as you keep X number of dollars, usually it's like a minimum of five bucks Correct. in a savings account. 
then you can have a checking account there. So I had $6.87 in a savings account, and they froze my checking account. So I lost my job, trying to be the upstanding, honorable man that I like to think that I am. I called the bank. Again, don't do that. Learn from my mistakes. I called the bank, and I said, hey, guys, I just, I just lost my job. And it was a good, it was a six-figure job. And I said, I just lost my job. And uh, is there, I, I've, got a, I've got like an 805, 807 beacon score. Mm-hmm. I've got good credit. Will you guys, can I have like a 30-day suspension on my mortgage payment? I think, I really think in the next 90 days, I can get my career relined back out, have good income coming in again, and I'll get back on top of this. If I couldn't, my goal was try to get the property in the house sold, you know, in the next 90 days. And they said, that's not a problem. You're right, John. You've never missed a payment. You've got great credit. We appreciate you being an upstanding guy and bringing that to our attention. They immediately froze my checking account because they were freaking out. Okay. Not a lot of people in Southeast Iowa, a lot of, not a lot of savings and loan banks are giving out half million dollar loans on properties and you know stuff like that. So they froze my checking account. What money was in there I couldn't access. And then I get a knock on the door from the county sheriff serving me with intent to foreclose on my farm. Wow. And I called them and I was like, guys, you, you, you told me I had 90 days to not make a payment. And they said, yeah, but then we thought about it. We can't afford to take this kind of a hit. So we went ahead and filed paperwork for intent to foreclose. So it doesn't mean I've got, I'm getting kicked out, but they've now set a courthouse selling auction date, you know, to sell my farm. Holy shit. You got to get your butt in gear. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh shit. Again, Southeast Iowa, not a lot of people are buying 4,000 square foot homes. So, um, we scrambled and scrambled, took a huge loss, got the house sold at, we closed at, I think it was 9, 18 in the morning, and the following day at 7 a.m. was the courthouse auction for the foreclosure. So, 21 and some, 21 hours and some change prior to the deadline, we got the house sold and had to regroup. And like I said, I had, you know, six $6.87 in this savings account, and I closed it out. And had that money, at least I could buy a meal or something. Um, you know, I had the photo thing going on the side, but it wasn't my business. My business was, you know, working for these guys. You know, that was my bread and butter. And I'm like, okay, it's now time to, like, it's shit or get off the pot time now. This has to work. I don't have an option. I don't, it's not that I want it to work. It has to work. I've got to be able to provide for my family, like meals, water, food, you know what I mean? Like clothing. Uh, electricity, like, this is this is a must-have situation. And, um, I mean, two weeks later, I get a phone call from a client who wants to hire me to come do some content for them down in Florida. And before I got home from that trip, another client had called and heard that I was now doing freelance work. And, and it just snowballed from there. And again, this is February of 2019. It's not that long ago. No, that's, yeah, it's, you've had a rapid acceleration recently. Yep, yep. And I think at that time I might've had 2000 followers on Instagram or, you know, something like that, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, and Instagram's a tool. I try not to get wrapped up in it. Uh, it's cool that people want to follow along and see what I'm doing. And it is a tool for exposure for exposure, me to gain. It's, it's yeah. a resume. It's literally yeah. a resume. Right exactly. There. Yep. 
And uh, I, I have a lot of conflict with social media because I like my guns. Um, I like the Republican Party. I like our military. <laughs> I love law enforcement. Um, so I have a lot of issues with sometimes I feel like I have a little, I have a, a hand over my mouth at times that I can't say exactly what I want to say. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of it is putting, presenting your best foot forward. Um, I'll never sell out or I'll never, and never become anti 2A. Mm -hmm. Um, but maybe, you know, at times I have to practice in, um, oh, like modifying what I say a little bit, or maybe not yelling it as loud as I want (laughs) to yell it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I still sneak my, my AR photos in there every once in a while. And I'm sure, you know, they don't, they don't like that, but it seems like every time I post anything with a bullet or an AR, I'll have this huge drop in social media. I'll go from 2000 likes on a post to 300 likes on a post Crazy. for about, for about two, weird. three weeks. That is just weird. Yeah. How weird that coincidence. Cause it's like you have aer- aero precision. They post one. It's a couple thousand. You got yep. to. CAA out of Florida, they get a mm-hmm. couple hundred posts because they're all revolve around the firearms yep. world. You know, yep. it's kind of strange. Like I'm just, I'm just happy to produce yep. content rightly. And it's mm-hmm. like I learned from Ben Klausman, who was he was came up mm-hmm. from South Dakota, and he we sat down, we recorded a whole podcast about how yep. to develop it. And I've been following his thing, and I've seen almost a thirty percent growth in the last uh, not even thirty days. Oh, awesome! Yeah, so it's like, but I just. Posting three days, following the algorithm, just yep. being consistent with it. Yep. That's the biggest thing. But that's the discipline. Uh-huh. That's avoiding complacency. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun stuff. That's what kind of triggered for me a few years ago with my dad. Like when I, it's like in 2008 when the when the market crashed, I was homeless. Sure, I lost everything. Yep. And so instead of crawling back to my hands and knees to, the, yep. to my parents, I I took advantage of it. And I tr- I hitchhiked across the country. I did I did that's over badass. nine thousand miles on my feet walking around yeah. the south uh, the northwest corner of of america i got to see some amazing things i got to meet some really cool things there was a it was one story that comes to mind is i was in blanc uh colorado and it's it's middle of night it's middle of summer it's august it gets down to 40 degrees oh, outside yeah, yeah and it's like all night long yeah, you kind of get that desert cold oh, kind of yeah. thing oh yeah. yeah i'm all night long i'm hearing dogs bark low guess this coyotes shit. no a wolf oh dead serious i was within 30 yards of a white wolf yeah, believe me, it w- it was very profound. Mm-hmm. But I it, but that was when I really really connected back to God. Yeah, and and it's like from there I've had nothing but honest God blessings, humility, yeah. and just kind of been been growing from that. Now today, ten really ten years. Yeah, from well, let's see, two thousand eight, so a little twelve years. Things have really changed around. But like in twenty seventeen, I met my wife, and then twenty eighteen, I put my foot down, started doing the podcast, mm-hmm. and it's like I've just it's been a hell of a ride. Yeah, that's awesome. Can't That's do, super can't quit cool, full time yet, but I'm getting there. Yeah. Well, and you know, there was a lot of years that that was the same, same for me. I mean, it, you know, I would do, let's say cliche nine to five and then from five to midnight, you know, I worked on the side hustle sometimes till four or five in the morning and people were like, dude, you can't keep doing this. I'm like, yeah, but I can't afford to leave the day job yet. So I got to work this side hustle hard enough, long enough till I then can hit that point. Where I can then leave the day job and and have do you this. by chance read Think and Grow Rich yet? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I mean, I just reached chapter two here just yesterday. Yep. Wrote down all six principles, man. Uh, I, I, it's like yep. I've, I've known about this book for twenty years, yep. and I finally it's like I need it. I need to do it, and I'm getting uh, my day job allows me to study and learn, so yep. I'm taking advantage of it. 
So I um huge student and for probably ninety five percent I believe in Gary what Gary V likes to preach. Yes. And I've, my everything's for me is skyrocketed since I And I had a buddy, he was like, dude, he goes, you know, a lot of the stuff that you preach is uh is a lot of like kind of Gary V stuff. You must be a big Gary V fan. And I was like, uh I don't know that I'm familiar with a Gary V. I'm like, wait a second. Is that is does he chase mule deer? Is he like a Northwest guy, like an Oregon mule deer hunter? And they were like, what? I'm like, yeah, I thought that I, there was a guy up there named Gary something. And they were like, no, he's like the motivational entrepreneur type guy. I'm like, oh, okay. I've never heard of him. I had never heard of Gary V until like two years ago. Mm-hmm. But like the stuff that I was always spewing and talking about in marketing strategy were things that were textbook you know, stuff that he was always talking about. Oh yeah. So, you know, several years ago, I think there was some of my buddies that just thought I was regurgitating shit. I learned from Gary V. I had no idea who the guy was. Now, one of the things that he talks about a lot is don't pay attention to your competition. And that's one of the things I differ on. I think to be good in business, you don't need to, you don't need to like invest a lot of your time into what your competition is doing. Cause I think you can pick up some bad habits and inadvertently copy things, whether you know you're doing it or not, but I like to see what they're doing and kind of study them. Mm-hmm. You know, for me to be the best champion of my brand, I need to know everybody else's brand too. And if I see something that they're doing great, interesting, study it, break it down, dissect it. How did it work for them? Could that strategy work for me? If I see them do something horrible, Ooh, Note to self, don't do that shit. You know what right? I mean? Yeah. Um, so, but another big thing that uh, that I like to talk about with people is through my other business. So I, I have the whole Johnny Utah hunt. Um, I have Bourbon Barrel Calls, my turkey call company. I have Primal Divide, which is my actual hunting show that's on Waypoint and YouTube. And then I have Work More Hours, which is just a clothing apparel line with a simple motto, work more hours. And it's something that my dad used to always talk to me. And that's the foundation of everything that I believe in at the core to everything. It's work more hours. So I started this brand, apparel brand that every dollar that comes in from that company, that money goes to this memorial race that we host every year. My dad's name back in Kentucky, a dirt track race. Um, And then I also have a company called Johnny Utah creative. And that's the freelance marketing, freelance video, product design, consultation, marketing consultation business, which is a cool business because I get to really do a lot of different things. I mean, last week we did a couple of logos for a new client. And then on retainer, we do all of the marketing for a big taxidermist in Iowa, Old Barn Taxidermy. Okay. And so... I've done work with Mystery Ranch, designing military and law enforcement packs for those guys as a consultant. Um, so it's it's been a it's been a cool business, you know, for me to really be creative in a lot of different facets, and also play on the connections that I've made in the industry. You know, um, so I, I love that I love that business, and and I love the whole philosophy around that. The number one thing that I teach people in the marketing consultation, and it's it goes back to dirt track racing. So we got any rednecks listening <laughs> that love a good old dirt track, round track stuff, you'll understand this. And it applies to NASCAR and asphalt too. But typically on a dirt track or an asphalt track, there's two to three distinctive lines 
you know, around the track that you can take low groove, middle groove, high groove, you know, with aerodynamics and racing as competitive as it is, if you and I are racing against each other and you're in the lead for me to pass you, I can't just be a 10th of a second faster because I got to pull up beside, complete the pass and then move back over in front of you. Considering we're running the same groove, I need to be two to three tenths of a second faster than you are. But if you're running the high groove and I know you're going to run the high groove and I can set up my car to run the low groove, I just need to be point zero 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 one percent a lap faster. And at the end of the race, I'm in the lead because I'm not in your groove. So I tell people, don't go where your competition is if you can't beat them and blow their doors off. Just go where they're not. Do what they're not doing. And that can apply to any business model, podcast, photography, videography, HHA sites. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris will never try to just make the exact same product that another competitor is. Make something different. Make something unique. You know what I mean? Don't go where your competition is, you know. Run a different line. That's, that's solid advice. That's what I do. Yeah. I, my thing is all about collecting stories. Yeah. That's how it all is and meeting and greeting people, giving folks that never had a chance to speak on a platform, give yep. them a chance to speak. And then it's like now I work with RPG, HHA, Dangler Case, all startup companies, mm-hmm. VIP made in the U.S. down there down there in Texas. That's awesome. It's just, it's just been fantastic. Isn't I, that I, cool I, to see how much stuff is coming out of Texas in the veteran community, oh, businesses, yeah. I mean, Black Rifle and – so much stuff. Oh yeah, and like it, and uh, VIPs new innovation is they have now a removable. Oh, and you got yeah RPG coffee. Yeah. Yep. And so VIP archery has a removable uh, insert. So this mm-hmm. way that it, 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 it's they were able to accelerate their business because everything's stuck in in a container because everything comes out of Taiwan or Singapore. Mm-hmm. So what they did is there everything's low locally sourced there. But what they did is they created a insert that you, if you destroy your arrow, you can pull the insert up. Put it Do in you know uh, Mike Walston? At VIP? Oh, I know, I know Matt. I know Matt okay. personally in Sydney. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, so um, Mike Walston, I think he is their director of sales? I believe so. Yep. Yeah. So we used to work together uh, at Tecamani Holdings. No Tecamani Holdings is who bought Wicked. So, yeah, I know Mike Mike really well. Oh, I was okay. teasing him at the ATA show this year. He's wearing a mask. I'm like, dude, take that mask off, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yep. I have, I've, I've had Matt on this on my podcast several times. Uh-huh. I've had Cindy on my podcast. Yep. Great people. I just unfortunate what matt's going through with his cancer treatment but oh i wasn't aware yeah we're we're all trying to pull for him and Mm -hmm. and, and give him prayers and stuff like he's kind of kept on the dl no he's done that on purpose so cancer sucks man i remember my uh my dad went into the doctor's office and you know again old old dudes born in the 50s if they go to the doctor they're pretty much near death you know what i mean to get them to go to the doctor but he went to the doctor and i was like ah probably covid you know he's coughing a little bit Stage four cancer is what oh, we found snap. out. Yeah. So we, we didn't even get stage one, t- two or three. Yeah. He went into the doctor for a, why am I coughing? And I just, I feel bleh, you know? Yeah. It was stage, stage four cancer. My so. aunt just passed away here. She, she, um, she had stage one, um, colon cancer, okay. had three treatments. She was fourth treatment away from, uh, from chemo to reduce one more size. Yep. And then the cancer went into survival mode and just Hit the it's lymph not, nodes, yeah. went through it, the spinal cord. It just, just it's what happened to him. Yeah. They they initially located it um, in the throat, and they said, ah, he's got about eighteen months to live, probably okay. with treatment. And then a couple weeks later, they're like, ooh, 
we're we're starting to see some movement and it's popping up other places and they were like eh, we're gonna say 12 months and then two weeks later they said you need to come to kentucky and say your goodbyes wow yeah, yeah. it's amazing six how, weeks how fast that animal can really take over your body yeah. like my dad went into into the hospital i don't know about 10 years ago and something mm-hmm. like that, and he's having trouble breathing it's like you thought well we know he's been a long time smoking he started smoking like i think he was 11 years old yeah so this was back in the early exactly just how it goes yep. old iowa yep. farmer and mm-hmm. he goes in and stuff like that and come to find out he had he had black spots in his lungs. So here we thought, like, okay. Well, they went and do a biopsy. He had calcium buildup because he worked in a lime quarry in northern Iowa no for 40 shit. years. Yeah. So that calcium buildup it's actually breathing saved that him. in. Yeah, yeah, so it actually saved his life. And now he's smoked for he's, uh doesn't smoke anymore. He's been 24 months free now. So, But he's, he's breathing a lot better. He's got Good for him. a sleep, uh, sleep apnea machine now. Yeah, so it's yeah, like yeah. he's getting better rest. He's like not going getting up every few yeah. hours to go pee. So it's great. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Good for him. Yeah, my old man, he just, he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't put down the smokes, man. He couldn't, couldn't give it up. And same deal, you know, he, he was probably 10, 11 years old when he started smoking. And, um, you know, I mean, it, it's something people have to be aware of. Um, and, and can't, like I said, cancer just sucks. I mean, the only silver lining to my dad's situation was that it was six weeks and it wasn't six months. It wasn't 12 months. It wasn't two years of agonizing and watching him fade like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was very rapid. Um, it was probably easier on him. I know it was easier on all of us, you know, um, there is the definite guilt because he was in central Kentucky and I was in Iowa and I call him. I'm like, hey, I'm going to come down and see you. I got this hunt. I'm going to scrap it. No, no. Why would you do that? This is what. This is your job. You're working. I'm fine. Go hunt. Call me after the hunt. Tell me how it went. And I called him and I said, uh, the hunt didn't go so good. It's okay. You're going to go back? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have, I got this tag still good. I'm going to go back. Okay. Okay. Well, you, you get out there and you go, you go get that buck killed. He wasn't a hunter. Knew nothing about what I did. But he loved hearing my stories. And, um, we buried him, um, on, he died on December 16th and, you know, a week later, you know, we had the funeral and all that kind of stuff Four or four, four or five days later had the funeral. And then I came home and that was the worst Christmas I've ever had in my life. You know what yeah. I mean? Just moping around the house and my wife's like, damn it. Like get out of the damn, like get out of the house, go hunt. Like that's what you do. Go clear your head. You need to go process this. Cause again, you know, coming from a law enforcement career and working with, you know, Rangers and SEALs and Army guys and Marines and stuff like that through trainings, like you just compartmentalize, you know, you don't ever grieve. You just compartmentalize it and move on, stuff it away in the fuck it bucket and keep going, you know, and and that's how I've done everything in my life. But my wife was actually aware and obviously knows me well enough. We've been married 22 years. She's like, this is not one of those that you get to compartmentalize. I won't let you compartmentalize this because this is one of those like cancerous situations, no pun intended, but like this is going to fester. So you need to go ahead and deal with it. So I went to Kansas camera guys like, you want me to come? No, this is one I need to do by myself. Went and self filmed, killed this buck, cried like a baby for like five minutes, you know, because not initially, I shot the buck and I was like, hell yeah, I'm jacked up. I'm pumped up, you know? And I immediately reached for my phone and I scrolled through my contacts and I got to the D's for dad and I couldn't call my dad and, uh, or shoot him a picture of it, you know, or shoot him a text. (coughs) So that's when it sunk. That's when that was the reality. 
And that was the ripping off the Band-Aid. And I sat there and bawled, man, five, ten minutes, cried. Mm-hmm. Face was red and eyes were watering and swollen and everything else. Yeah. And and I tried to give like a post-hunt interview that was just shit, you know. I didn't feel like it. And it wasn't even about any of it anymore. At that point, I could care less about the show, could care less about the job. Um, but that's how I dealt with it. And then I had that seven hour drive back from Kansas, back to Iowa. And, and I told, I walked in and told my wife, said I killed a deer and it's good, you know, good buck. And I said, you know, the buck, he was, he was pretty busted up because it was late season. It was yeah. uh, New Year's Eve when I killed this buck and he was, antlers were all busted all to shit. And I said, you know, she goes, wow, he looks pretty busted up. And I said, yeah, kind of like me, you know? So it meant a lot. And, um, that, but that's how I processed it and that's how I dealt with it, you know, and, and then moving forward, if his motto was work more hours, then that's what I'm going to do to the day I die. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to grind and hustle and grind. And, and to me, that's the ultimate respect that I can give him. You know, we didn't always see eye to eye, but I, damn, I appreciate him teaching me work ethic. You know, right? that yeah. was huge. That's what I, I, like, I went through a similar situation where I dealt with my grandma, 20, uh, October, 2020, mm-hmm. setting out and waiting for deer to show up. And I get, I get, um, I'm got poor spotty service, so I get a text message that my grandma passed away. Now my mm-hmm. grandma and I have been thick as thieves. Oh yeah, because yeah. what I, when I knew that I needed to talk, call my grandma, my nose itched. Oh, it was, yeah. it was a tall, t- and it's like it was, it we, we, I, I couldn't go much more than sixty days without yeah. talking to her. Yeah. And when, when uh, I got accepted to college down in Arizona, they already had already been beca- living down there. So, but when she passed away, it's like I had deer show up. Oh, 30, 130 yards out. So it's like, but it was one of those moments where I think she was meant to have that happen to where, excuse me. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it, man. It'll, it'll get up in your nose and oh, that yeah, frog right? will crawl up in that throat in a second. But, uh, being there and just being in the now. Yeah. I think yeah. that's one, I think that's one the news meant to happen. Yeah. Yeah. No. And you know, here's a story. You'll knock your socks off and. I don't believe in aliens or any of that. Well, I guess maybe I do a little bit believe in aliens. But that being said, um, the morning that my dad passed away, I was already set to go visit anyways. So the night before, I'd already packed a bag, you know, with clothes for three, four days. It's eight-hour drive from southeast Iowa to Lexington, Kentucky. And um, I got up that morning, and the first thing I did is I, I, I... I woke up without an alarm and I I remember shooting up out of bed like, and I had seen my dad like in my dream and I don't remember dreams ever, but I woke up and I saw my dad and I, you know, was like, Oh, rub my eyes and looked around the room and I'm like, no, okay, I'm awake. Oh, I was like, well, that's weird. That was a dream. And I'm like, well, I'm sure that's why I saw my dad. Cause I've been thinking about him a lot, you know, I get it. And I'm like, okay. And then all of a sudden I went, Oh shit. And I looked at my phone. And I didn't have any missed calls from anybody. I've seen enough people die on their own natural causes and things like that. They typically, they seems like they die at night Mm -hmm. and then people find them in the morning. You know, they don't wake up. So I didn't have any missed calls from my mom. And I'm like, oh, okay. Dad didn't die last night. Everything's okay. Mm -hmm. So went downstairs, turned on the water to get in the shower. My phone rings. Now, it's been about five minutes from the time I woke up to now I'm getting in the shower, and my mom's bawling, and she said, your dad just died. And I said, when? She goes, five minutes ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, coincidence? No. 
No. I got like a some energy shot my way, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and I might not always be the most religious person in the world, but that's God's work right there. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that was that was pretty freaky and and you know, and I've had little things, divine intervention type things that have happened in my life a few times that um I wasn't raised in the church, but when those things happen, it reminds me that there there's something bigger. There's yeah. something, you know, there's something bigger out there, you know? The way I, like, because you said you don't remember your dreams. Mm-hmm. I used to be the same way. Never remember my dreams. And I started taking turmeric black pepper. This mm-hmm. is something I learned that the Indians do in the, the, over over mm-hmm. in India. And I started remembering my dreams. But for me, it's like when I know when the, uh, the Holy is talking to me, I'll have I'll have deja vu. I'll go in like this. I'll, all of a sudden, this movie clip turns mm-hmm. on. The next 10 to 15 seconds, it's like, I was meant to be here. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. it, was just, it was just profound. I can't explain it except for the ones that have gone through those emotional spurts. Like, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. I've, I've had those moments. One of my buddies, we we have a lot of deep philosophical talks, and um, neither one of us are are plant enhanced while we're having any of these philosophical <laughs> deep talks. You know, whiskey is usually one, one that yeah, really yeah. Get, get, gets you open that open it yeah. up. Yeah, and uh, we have this theory that if there isn't a heaven and a hell that maybe it's energy and on the whole idea of energy, maybe we've all been here before. Mm-hmm. So when I have those deja vu moments, I get them when I'm out West and I will feel, I'm like, I've been here before. I ain't been there before. I know that for a fact that that section of the plains or whatever, if I'm stalking an animal, mm-hmm. I've never stepped foot there before. But I know all the way to my core that I've been here before. Well, you, it, was I on a horse? Was I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, was I, was it 200 years ago? Was it 100 years ago? Was it 500 years? Yeah. I've been there before. And I get, I get those deja vu moments when I go out West. It's the only place I ever get it. There's been a few it's situations weird. where, where, um, reincarnations have played a role where the, where the, where the, where the person was murdered in a previous life, mm-hmm. gets put into another body and they come back and they find the killer. And they find the evidence to back it up. And lock See, that's, some, that's some. And it's happened. It, it happens over in right India. There. It happens over overseas. But yeah, it's like so that it's like, it's almost like one. You leave one matrix and you open up to another matrix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it one of those things where you could have been on horseback. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like if if this is my second rodeo around this deal, my first one or one of them previous was out west. I do know that. And when I go out west on a hunt, it's the best sleep I've ever had in my life. My, one of my camera guy buddies, Drew, we were, uh, we were in my rooftop tent and we were hunting, uh, hunting Montana, chasing antelope archery on some public land. And, and he's like, dude, did you sleep at all last night? I'm like, I never woke up once. And he's like, you're bullshitting me. Like you're being sarcastic. Right. I'm like, no. Why? What happened? This whole tr- I thought the truck was coming off the ground. We had like 50 mile an hour gusts last night, you know, in a tent. I sleep like a baby when I go out west. I'm at peace when I, for whatever, and like I said, the deja vu and everything else, man, I go out west and it's the most peaceful I've ever been in my life. I don't, I don't get it. There's, there's something kind of connection out there for me. You know what I mean? Could it be the poles and stuff like when I was in Arizona, I slept yeah. great. I, and plus, you don't have to worry about changing time zones and such. Yeah. But it's, I think it has to do with the polar, the vortexes out there. Yeah. Especially when you get to Sedona area. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's amazing how the energy works. Yeah. And, um, I have friends that go down to the jungle and have ayahuasca. Like one of them, my groomsmen, he actually brought, I want to do that. Bean. 
really bad. Yeah. I want to go do it. Like maybe out in like Peru or something. I'll, get you, I'll, get, I'll put you in touch with my buddy. He just got back from a, yeah. a Peruvian trip. Yeah. Oh, yeah I, I really want to go do that. Um, I know Logan Stark uh, from Black Rifle. He's done it. And Theo Vaughn talks about it quite a bit. And Aubrey Marcus, Joe Rogan. Well, yeah. Rogan, Rogan talks about it. Yeah, he does. He's all, he, he loves that DMT and, you mm-hmm. know, all the other kind of stuff. But yeah, I think there's some cool enlightenment type stuff. And, you know, I feel like, you know, some of the background stuff that I've done in my life, some of the things that I've seen and I'm like, you know, this might not be a bad time to go do that and mm-hmm. kind of shed some of those demons. And you know what I mean? Get a little refresher, you know? Oh, yeah. I will get in touch with you and yeah. I will get you, I'll put you in, into, what is it is, expensive? I don't even know what it costs right to go around do. Around six to seven grand. Depending is it? On, okay. So it's not that it's not, yeah. that it's, it's, it's not crazy. Yeah. yeah right. It's very right. doable. And he yeah. just got back. He does, he does a 10 day things out there, but he actually reached out to, uh, Aubrey Marcus, mm-hmm. and he put him in touch and, and and showed him how to get down there. But mm-hmm. my buddy that I'm telling you about, yeah, because it's still kind of secretive a little bit, right? It's 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 starting to become mainstream because yeah, of Rogan, right. yeah. but it's it's someone that's not being widely publicized because mm-hmm. it's still it's it goes against Johnson Johnson, Pfizer, Moderna, well, all of those course. guys. Yeah. Now, uh, but getting back to my buddy, he actually mm-hmm. brought Gary V into Rochester, Minnesota, a couple years ago. Dr- managed to figure out 175 grand to get him to show up on the, in Rochester, Minnesota. Jeez. Yeah, he actually met him, record a whole podcast with him. It's like he, him, and I are on a on the same wavelength when it comes down to mm-hmm. spiritual aspect. Because he just when he, his most recent trip back, mm-hmm. he, he he found an established connection with God now. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's kind of like what um like Theo Vaughn talks about and all those guys. Uh, mm-hmm. It's 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 profound. Yeah, I mean, I've had my like we did uh, my other podcast, Dosed After Dark. We talked about um psilocybin and the whole spectrum of all that stuff mm-hmm. mdma methamphetamines all that fun stuff because yep. when my son died here 20 years ago now uh i went i became a junkyard mm-hmm. i just did everything i could possibly do but it, it was my most profound experiences with through psilocybin and mdma oddly enough yeah and yeah. it's like i was self-medicating but something something came and reached inside of me and like you got to stop doing this yeah i yeah. sobered up in training yeah that's pretty wild. Yeah. yeah you know, and, and growing up in Kentucky, um, you know, where we, where we lived, there wasn't a lot to do. There wasn't, you know, if you don't have a driver's license or a car yet at that age, like there's not a lot to do. And I mean, as long as I got my farm chores done, uh, it's kind of bored, you know what I mean? And so at a pretty, I say pretty young age, what I think is a young age, you know, I'm 13, 14 and, you know, I was smoking weed and sneaking, you know, some, some vodka and some gin out of old man's closet. And the reason why I could do that is I just top it off with water, you know what I mean? And yeah. that way he wouldn't know that I was, you know, stealing, you know, stealing some liquor from him. Um, and then, you know, we got into a little blotter and started doing some of that fun stuff. And, and when I was in high school and, um, then in college, you know, then it's pretty much just, just weed, you know, mm-hmm. weed and, uh, a few stems and caps, you know, here and there. Yeah, yeah some Liberty caps. I know what you're talking yeah. about. And uh, so we did a lot of that, a lot of rock climbing. You know, that's when I started camping a lot and, yeah. you know, getting into that whole kind of a vibe or whatever. And then it was crazy. Then after college, you know, didn't do any of that. And then, like I said, became a cop and then undercover narcotics. And, and our unit was different. Like, we didn't target weed. We didn't target shrooms. We didn't target any of that shit. It was just heroin, crack, coke. Like, that was it. And, uh, so that was our unit. Um, you know, and then of course afterwards, you know, you get out of it. My buddies are like, so like, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get back into smoking some weed. 
<laughs> you know, I'm like, geez, guys, you know, this is crazy. But, you know, it, 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 there's some bad paths that people can go on. And, and um, you know, I, I don't have a, I don't have an issue with, with weed at all. Uh, I don't have an issue with mushrooms, you know. It's just, the, man, it's that crack, the heroin, it's the meth. I mean, that's bad shit. Oh, yeah. You know, it gets, it's evil. It, it gets into your core and it just, yeah. it just it warps you. Yeah, yeah. And it just, it really changes. You see how it changes people and, you know, oh, yeah, stuff I, like my that. My roommate OD'd. He's a six foot four guy. He OD'd and I found him in his bedroom or in his, in his bathroom, hunched over the toilet mm-hmm. with a needle in his, in his Johnson. Yeah, I, I'm six too, and I had to I had to lift up a six foot yep. four guy, two hundred fifty pounds, and and get him off the toilet, get him cleaned up, call nine one one, call his mom, and say, hey, he OD'd again. Was now was he recently recovered or no. incarcerated or was there? A- he's he's he never addre- addressed the trauma of the childhood trauma that uh-huh. he went through being molested and stuff like that. Uh-huh. So he always kept on relapsing and going through it. So he yeah. he would he would. Um, do you think it was a self-destruction yeah, thing Yeah, self-medication. Yeah. Usually when yeah. people go down that aspect, it's usually a trauma that they haven't quite recovered from. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Gabor Mate talks a lot about mm-hmm. that, why trauma yeah. leads somebody into this down, downward spiral and yeah. stuff. Like um, Ryan Lundgren, when he was here, he was telling me that one of his guests committed suicide today. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah, today. He was, on his, he was on his podcast, wrote a book and stuff like that. But he was yeah. he, he uh, was molested at a young child age, stuff like that. And it's... Yeah. It's those demons Something that come just back. didn't get sorted out. Yeah, and it's it's rough on anybody. We used to see it, you know, we used to see a lot of the ODs um, more on, you know, if if I'm using X, but then I go to jail for six months and then I get out, they'd go right back to trying to use X amount again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, you don't have that tolerance in the system anymore. And that's where we would see a lot of the ODs, you know, mm-hmm. come from. And then, of course, when the whole heroin fentanyl, you know, craze started popping off, um, I think it was even CNN, even though it's a garbage network. CNN was one of the networks that actually talked about it, and they they described Cincinnati as ground zero for the modern, you know, uh, heroin 2.0, you know, the second second version of heroin craze. And uh, so we were right there in the thick of it in the beginning, and I remember seeing it like, man, we're getting a lot of a lot of overdoses, like something's not right. And then boom, heroin. I'm like, what heroin? Like, are you shitting me? Like mm-hmm. that's back. Like that's a thing again, <laughs> you yeah. know? And we just started seeing it pop off left and right. And, and then these people just, they kept pushing, chasing that dragon, man, started throwing that fentanyl in it. And things got, things got bad, you know, where Narcan wasn't even working anymore. Um, and, and I'm just like, man, I, and I get it. Like I get it. I'm a thrill seeker myself. Thankfully, I just found some other ways, you know, to do it. Yeah. Uh, or didn't have access, you know, who knows with money and access, you know, I, hell, I might've fallen into it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and I think that's the thing. A lot of times people are one bad decision away from, you know, fucking up, you know, but you're also one good decision from turning everything around. And thankfully you did and mm-hmm. realized what was going on. And, um, that's awesome, man. It's positive. That's, what, that's why I think a lot of people like really bond over HJUSA is because we've all gone through some type of a shit yeah. to go through. Like I lost, I like I lost my son, and it's like it's 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 tough to talk about it because it's like it's it's, yeah. it's, it's something that needs to get out because it it eats away at your soul because it's like if you if you don't, it kind of bottles up and then that you start looking at ways to exit. Yeah, and that's what I talk about, like the compartmentalizing, and it's one of the things that. Looking back on my career, previous career, um, they never 
taught you how to deal with trauma or how to, how you're supposed to grieve. Um, I mean, I remember one time, like we had in our policy that like, if an immediate family member died, you're supposed to get like your days off to grieve, deal with it, you know, process it. We never got that shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you went to a direct supervisor and you're like, Hey man, I just, I just saw some dead bodies or I just shot some people. I want to take me 72 hours just to sort this shit out. They'd literally look at you and be like, what are you, some kind of pussy or something? Like, oh, you need to go talk to a therapist. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. And But, I mean, that was the way things were. Yeah, you all know? throughout the it was 80s, different. 90s, yeah. 2000s. But now we're starting to see that, that their people yes. are starting to turn and yep. recognizing that people need to go through yeah. the process. Yeah, and, and it's such a good thing to see that people can be more open about it, talk about it, mm-hmm. sort it out, deal with it. There's so many different ways. I mean, you know, I never thought that I was I ever had PTSD from the stuff that I did. Um, because again, I thought PTSD meant I committed suicide. You know what I mean? Or I crawled into a bottle of bourbon and didn't ever, and never came out, you know. Um, to me that's what I thought happened in PTSD situations. And um, but what I did do is I closed off people. I was a loner, you know what I mean? I, I didn't leave my house. I didn't really want to go do anything. Mm-hmm. That was how I, that was my PTSD. That's how it, it showed up in me. And, um, you know, thankfully things like, for me, fitness, going to the gym is a is a everyday thing for me. And that's where I go sort it out. You know what I yeah. mean? I go in there and kick my own ass for a little while. Mine was um, always the paintball field because it's like I yeah. love shooting fools in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, tattoos are a big thing for me. Yeah, I got I got a few myself. Yeah. Every every tattoo, uh, it doesn't just have a meaning, but a lot of times it was inflicting pain on myself uh, as a reminder that something happened. Um, I wasn't a cutter, but that's yeah. how I did it. You know what I mean? Because tattoos don't feel good. You know, no. they don't tickle. No. You know, I I have two on my leg right now that I just got last night. Yeah, you said you mentioned <laughs> yeah. it to me earlier. Yeah. yeah, it was uh it wasn't the most pleasant walk in the course earlier today with those, but uh but you know, like there's a lot of different ways to do it and and fortunately for me, I found archery that was I could go be alone. And like you said, when you come to full draw, there's not a lot you can do. You got to let that arrow go at some point. You know, um, so for me, that was that was that alone time. And I was really able to focus in on something. Um, I buried myself in work, you know, keep myself busy. Idle time is still to this day is a bad thing for me. I don't like idle time. Our older our fathers, because being Mm -hmm. from the older generation, always busy. They're always doing something. So yeah, I feel I feel would feel lazy because it's like it yep. wasn't doing anything, being productive and right, such. Right, right. Especially exactly. when I was rebuilding myself after I had lost everything, because you you want to be in the It's like well, my father who's always doing something. Like ever, like he, since he's retired, he's even more busy than when he was working. Yeah, exactly. Which is great. So it's like he's he gets to go on these trips, fishing trips. Yep. Like I'm going to like if everything works out, I usually go down to Illinois and I, vol- I volunteer for the stand down event. Okay. Or they help out the homeless in like five mm-hmm. different counties around Peoria, yep. Illinois. And so that is usually a four or five, or well, it used to be like a two day or one day thing. Mm-hmm. Now, because it's a heavily communist state with the Beetlejuice at the helm, uh, they have to spread it out yep. throughout the course of the day. So if I'm not doing, if I'm not going to be volunteering my time for that, I will be going out fishing Okaboji because it's like hanging out with all these guys and like yeah. they've been getting together for over twenty years. That's pretty cool. Every every spring and every fall they get together for 
from Wednesday to Sunday, and they just mm-hmm. go fish, they BS, they drink, they do whatever they want. But it's just the camaraderie is like I like I like that. It's like I've always found myself. How can I recreate that? So that's why I do the podcast. I yep. invite people over. Like I all like warrants. I brought Chris Ross, Dave Wooten, Terrence uh, Golden, and uh, Joe Rhodes, and uh, dear, my buddy Brady and his girlfriend, and everybody else. And I fired. I've cooked for ten people. Fired up a bunch of ribs and <laughs> cooked up some venison that's, and some steak. Super cool. Oh yeah. man, it was just it was just delicious. It's almost like recreating hunting camp. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. 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 And this is the first shoot of the year, and it's like it's last year we did it went off without a hitch, and this year I got a smoker, so it was like it went even better. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and I tell you, there's a food is a food's a it's just a cool, common thing for everybody. You know what I mean? Sit around and and have a good meal and tell some stories and tell some jokes. And it's um, it's that common thing. We all do it. And and so you're finding that common ground with everybody. And like I said, I mean, damn ribs. Like I'm starved out right now. Yeah. Yeah. I I cooked three different types of ribs using three different barbecues. Uh, same same uh, binder and same uh, uh, base with it, everything. But then I cooked those up in different barbecue sauce. Yeah. And then I had uh, smoked uh, five pounds of venison. Mm-hmm. I had it brine for over 30 hours because I like brining because I want to add an extra level to it, elevate it. Yeah. And it's yeah. like it turned out to be a nice even heat, cutting it at about a quarter inch oh, yeah. thick. Because it's like it. I didn't want somebody to be overwhelmed by it. So if I cut it thinner, it's like it's yep. going to be even better. And it's like I just cook up a storm. Have I you, love uh, bringing people in. You ever tried um – or seen the the flip flop guy? No, Andy. So, uh, buddy of mine, Andy, has a company called it's the flip flop guy, and um, so it's a it's a it's a sauce that he sells, and uh, I would I guess balsamic is the the base you know flavor that that you taste immediately, but what he does is is open flame style and a, a flip flop. So you take like a leg quarter. And you baste it with this sauce, flip it over, and you just keep flipping it over. Shave, recoat, shave, recoat, and just keep going to you. All you got left is just the bone. But it always works well if you use like a Weber or a birch barrel or some kind of an open flame source like that with a grill. But everybody can just stand around in a circle. And I mean, he's just cooking and shaving and handing you a piece and everybody's just talking and got their hand out and they're eating and stuff like that. Uh, I, I met him at some of the Total Archery Challenge events, and um, Sean DeGray would always have him come out and, you know, cook, you know, a couple nights. And then now he pops up at, um, like, Bert Soren at his Winter Strong event out in South Carolina and stuff like that for Soren X Outdoors. And it's just so awesome. And then now, like, I buy a sauce, and I use it at home all the time cooking. And it's not quite the same because you don't have all your buddies there. And, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, but man, it is so good. You, if you if you like grilling and you like cooking with that kind of stuff, and uh, I would definitely suggest checking that out. Grab a Heck bottle yeah, of that. I'll have to do that. Yep. I met uh, Joe Rhodes, and he lives all the way down in, in uh, uh, Missouri, and he came mm-hmm. up to go check out Vortex to set up a, a uh, skeet shooting thing. Mm-hmm. So that's his mm-hmm. final specialty. Well, he introduced me to Gravic Ranch, mm-hmm. and it's like in order to to work with Kinestead Foundation, you yeah. need to figure out a way to have like a steady steady income to. Um, keep filling everything. So they came up with a, a rub right. and then a, yep. a steak root thing. But they also made barbecue sauce. Mm-hmm. And what I love about it, they don't use high fruit to corn syrup. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it is a whole nother animal. Yeah, that's cool. I, I paired that, their bourbon uh, barbecue sauce uh-huh. with some candy bacon from Spiceology. Oh, my God. That's delicious. Yeah, and I that's used good. I, and I 
last time when 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 Chris was over, I used baby back rooms. Uh-huh. This time when my dad came up and I had a buddy from uh, uh, Phoenix come up, I used St. Louis cut, uh-huh. and it was just just juiciness yeah. running through my beard. It's like this is just happened. Yeah, that's I just, awesome. I just, I just, it was great. Yeah, that's super cool. You know, it's uh, I was thinking about when we were talking about veterans and stuff. Um, there's a good friends of mine, Leslie and Troy Vanderoo. They live out in PA. That would be a great guest for you to reach out to, um, and, and to talk them, talk to those guys. They do a, a nonprofit called Heroes Outdoor Therapy, and they're both former Marines. Um, what they do is they host of whether it be fishing events or coyote events. Uh, we've got one coming up out in Harrisburg, PA, um, where we've got a company coming out, um, um, Takedown Adventures. So he comes out and he brings like the axe throwing stuff. Yeah, and- I had uh, Jake Mansell on before, while he was okay. working with them. He uh-huh. we did a whole podcast covering takedown event. Oh, okay, yep. yep. I, that, that's a beautiful strategy. Yep. I love the whole concept. So I of had it. Leslie and Troy. I had them reach out to the owner Jason Amato. Um, I've known Jason forever, and I said, you you know, if you guys want to do an event, like have him come out. He brings all the stuff, all the big tents and all the gear and all the stuff. And so for this event. Uh, instead of taking one or two veterans out, we're going to have like a dozen veterans come out and throw axes and shoot bows and shoot 22s and you know what I mean? All the stuff that he does. And so it's going to be, it's going to be a blast. Um, but they've got such a cool nonprofit that I've been able to watch them grow this thing over the years and they've taken their own personal money. You know, now they're getting some, so, you know, some support to help offset. But in the early years, it was a lot of their own personal money. And I, I and I asked them, I said, you know, heroes outdoor therapy, like, okay, I, I get it, but like, I want to hear you guys explain it. You know, what was the process? And, uh, they both fish and now she's getting into hunting. Um, and so she's been coming with me a lot. Uh, if anybody watches any of the primal divide episodes, she's made an appearance in a couple of the hunts and stuff as well. And she runs a camera for me sometimes too, but that was her thing was with her PTSD. It was connecting to the outdoors. Like how, the outdoors and hunting, it's so different, you know what I mean, than like what stem or her PTSD stem from. And um, and it's neat to see their concept and their take on it is getting veterans either to keep them in the outdoors or introduce them to the outdoors as as therapy. Um, and it's just been super, super cool to see that. But I, I when we were talking about veterans a second ago, I, I was thinking about that and, and kind of that would be they would be a really cool guest to have oh, have on the let's, podcast. Let's do it. I love yeah. it. I'm 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 always down to have guests on. Like yeah. I do with, well, with she Bucks always America says podcast, it's so cool like to hunt deer instead of hunting you know hunting in the Middle East. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But she uh, she was with me in Saskatchewan, and one of the lines that made the episode, and I love to have. I kept the audio clip in there. Is she says, you know, when I went to Iraq, I thought that was the only sandbox I was going to have fun in. And this is a different kind of a sandbox, cause, and all you see is four foot deep snow. <laughs> That's a good analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's pretty neat. Yeah, because yeah, after we get done here, I'm going to bring Tyson on, and we're going to bring in on uh, a desktop recipient of one of the bows uh-huh. that were donated. Oh, so super like that, cool! So it, it, that's why I'm wearing his super soft shirt. Yeah, yeah, so that's super awesome. Man. He, it's uh, it's just really cool to connect because when I first met Tyson was at Warren's last year, mm-hmm. and he's like. Chris comes like, you need to talk to Tyson. So we sat down. We did a whole spiel. Tyson and Kayla have been on my podcast. Well, Kayla's been on it once. Tyson's been on three times. This will be his fourth time coming mm-hmm. on. But we're going to sit down with uh, David G- Garrett. 
they're Gary David. I, I always get those two mixed up, but two first names. We're gonna bring it. We're gonna bring them <laughs> on, and we're gonna sit down, and I'm just gonna do the exact same thing. Let yeah. him just roll. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to hearing about his stories and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it's a good. It's a good format. Sitting down and telling stories about how things happen, and um, you know, it's the concept of my show as well is try to tell the story of the hunt. You know, the good, the bad, how it played out, and hopefully something gets shot in the end, you know, and there's a grip and grin, you know, at the end of the episode, but not yeah. always, you know, but that's, that's what makes it fun. Yeah. Do you know this man? Thank you, John. Yeah. For coming on the podcast. Yeah, man. This was very, a fun, emotional, inspirational yeah. podcast, dude. I had a blast. Yeah. I absolutely love yeah, it. Me, yeah. Me too. Like I said, I, you know, I, I was hanging out with a buddy last night after the tattoo, uh, his wife gave me a couple of tattoos and we we're just hanging out in a parking lot, chit chatting. And, He's like, man, and he was complimenting me on some things uh, business-wise and, like, motivational-type things. And I said, look, there's no place I'd rather be right now than in this moment. Like, I love talking to people and, and, and hearing their story and, and seeing people grow and evolve. I mean, you may not know it or acknowledge it or realize that you telling me your story about how you've evolved and the changes that you made in your life, like, that inspires me. And I'm supposed to be the guy that people say is the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Is it was the inspiration for something. And I'm like, shit, no man. Like I get inspired by seeing other people develop and grow and evolve. Like Mm -hmm. that's what it's all about is being your best person you can be. And all of us got a long way to go, but that's the fun part is keep going. Yeah. We never stop learning. We never stop growing. It's like, you always find that next spark to go to Mm -hmm. and drive you to it. Cause now it's like, you, you, you'll have a different outlook on how things perceive yep. what's going to happen from today out. And it's like, maybe you'll we're, we're definitely a chat after this, but uh, man, this has just been a blast. Yeah. I greatly appreciate oh, thanks. it. Thanks for having me on. 90 minutes. Cool. This is fucking amazing. It, fl- it, it flew by. So the best ways to find you, John. Yeah. So Instagram, johnny.utah.hunt. Um, don't just be a follower, interact, comment, ask questions. You know what I mean? Uh, you see a post, you want to know more information. Like comment on it. I, I hate people that just follow. Like, come on, interact people. That's what it's that's what social media is. You need to interact. So uh Johnny.utah.hunt on Instagram um is the most day-to-day to see what I'm doing because I do a lot of stuff with IG stories. It's not gonna be the pretty pictures like the posts are, um, but it, it's more the up-to-date. Primal Divide is the name of my hunting show. You can watch it on the uh uh, waypoint tv app or waypoint tv channel depending on what streaming service you have and also on youtube um if you're in turkey calls you want some cool turkey calls i make custom turkey calls from reclaimed bourbon barrels um that's something we didn't really talk on but i, I donate a call to every one of the the mission shoots uh you know that chris puts on through hha um yeah that's me in a nutshell man awesome yeah. The nice thing is every, everything that you just mentioned will be in the show notes. This okay, cool. Find it, yeah. uh, whether it be LinkedIn or TikTok, wherever it's going to be yeah. on there. Awesome. Thank you very much for coming Dude, on the show. Thanks for having me. You're welcome.